Chapters forty one and forty two of When Shadows Die by E. D. E. N. Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter forty one. The Other Side. You are, of course, aware, said the latter, sitting down at the table and beginning to arrange his papers before him. You are, of course, aware of my own intimate connection with the very youthful marriage of my friends, Lady Elfrida Glennon and Prince Luigi Saviola. Mr. Force, thoroughly informed of that circumstance, could bow acquiescence. This assent was supposed to answer also for Lord Enderby, who, however, knew nothing about it, and the general continued. You know that at that time I was a very young man, scarcely having attained my majority. I had a warm friendship for, and a youthful sympathy with, the young lovers. Yet I would have dissuaded Saviola from the hasty marriage if I could have done so. But who can turn an Italian lover from his love-chase? Seeing that I could do nothing to prevent the marriage that was sure to come off, sooner or later, for her father was in the East, and her brother was at Eton, and a minor, and she herself only in the care of two teachers, for whom she had neither love nor esteem, I determined to do a brother's or a father's part by her, at least so far as going with the mad pair, and seeing that the marriage ceremony was duly and lawfully performed in Scotland. But you have heard all this before, and I am wasting time, perhaps, in trying to excuse myself. Your course in that affair needs no excuse, but rather the gratitude of all who are interested in Lady Elfrida, said Mr. Force. I thank you, sir. I did indeed act in the interest of the young lady. I went to Scotland with the young pair, and saw them properly married, in the parlour of the manse, by the minister, at Kilton, Dumfries, North Britain, and, in addition to the certificate given to the bride, I took a duplicate, duly signed and witnessed, because I thought it just possible the young lady might mislay or lose her lines. You are sure that the place at which you stopped for the marriage was Kilton, in Scotland, and not Kelton, a few miles south in England? inquired Mr. Force. Anglesia lifted his eyes from the paper in his hand, and looked at the questioner with surprise. They are so near together on the same line, and the sound of the names are so similar, that the mistake might easily have been made, on a night journey, Mr. Force explained. It might, but it was not. Here is the certificate. Will you examine it? said the general, laying the document before the squire. Sure enough, there was the printed heading. Parish of Kilton, Dumfries, N.B., and then followed the date and the record of the marriage between Luigi Saviola of Naples, Italy, and Elfrida Glennon of Northumberland, England, signed by the minister and attested by two witnesses. Abel Force heaved so deep a sigh of relief that Lord Enderby bent toward him and inquired, "'What is the matter? Why were you so anxious about this point?' "'I will tell you later. I will explain everything later.' For the present, let us listen to the facts. I wish to put one question to you, Anglesia, and in the name of our lifelong friendship, why did you never inform me of my sister's marriage? Because, my dear fellow, I was in honor bound to keep the secret until the parties concerned announced their marriage. As I heard nothing about it from you or your father, I was restrained from mentioning the subject. I see, I see, assented the earl. I should not have brought up the matter now, had not the death of Saviola, and the marriage of his widow, absolved me from my implied pledge of secrecy, and very important considerations constrained me to cross the ocean to seek out Lady Elfrida, and to speak of her first marriage, of which I was the principal witness. I thank you, both on the part of Lady Elfrida and myself, for the great interest you have felt, and the great trouble you have taken in her cause, 
said Abel Force so earnestly that Lord Enderby muttered to himself, "'I wonder what in the deuce has come over the squire, but I shall know presently, perhaps.' "'I must explain these considerations,' continued the general. "'I was at Naples last year, where I renewed my acquaintance with the aged prince, Antonio Saviola, whom I had known years before. We met at the house of a mutual friend.' He invited me to dine tat-a-tat with him on the next day, and to come early, as he wished to converse with me on a subject near. I accepted the invitation and went. Pardon, said the earl, what relation was Prince Antonio to Luigi Saviola? He was the granduncle of Luigi, who was his next of kin. When I reached the Palazzo Saviola, I was at once ushered into the presence of the prince, who received me in his library with much cordiality. He entered at once upon the subject in his mind by saying, "'You were the attendant of my grandnephew, Luigi, on the occasion of his marriage with the only daughter of an English earl?' "'Yes, sir,' I answered, a little surprised that he should know the fact. "'So I was informed by a letter from my nephew soon after the occurrence. You were also his second in the fatal duel in Paris, about a year later, in which my nephew lost his life?' "'No, Prince, I was not in Paris at the time of that unhappy meeting,' I answered." "'Then I have been misinformed upon that point. "'But there is no question of your having been a witness to his marriage?' "'No question at all, Prince. "'I was present in the interests of the lady, "'taking the place of her father or brother, "'one of whom should have been there to give her away.' "'Precisely. "'That is how I understood from Luigi your presence "'at this Monahue and Capulet marriage. "'I have lost sight of the widow entirely. "'I last heard of her at Geneva. "'In a letter written to me by my unhappy nephew "'on the night before his duel,' He told me that his wife was at the Beau Rivage, Geneva, expecting the birth of a child, that if he should survive the meeting of the next day, he would hurry to her side. If he should fall, he recommended her to my sympathy and compassion. This letter found me prostrate with typhoid fever, and did not meet my eyes for weeks after it was written. My nephew was dead and buried. His widow had left Geneva, accompanied by her father and her infant. All my efforts to find them proved fruitless, and at last I gave up inquiry. Only lately have I become again interested in the subject. The reason is this. I am very aged, near ninety. My sons and grandsons have all gone before me to the better land. The last, Vittorio, departed some months since. I have no heirs, unless it happens that the posthumous child of Luigi proves to be a son, and is now living. It is to ascertain this point that I have called you here to-day. I could tell him nothing about the child, of whom I had never heard, but I offered to go to Geneva in person, and search the church register of the year and month in which the child of Luigi and Elfrida was born, and ascertain whether that child were son or daughter. I did so, and succeeded in procuring an attested copy of the registry of birth and baptism of Rolando, son of Luigi Antonio Saviola, and Elfrida, his wife. This I took to Naples, and laid before the old prince— together with the certificate of the marriage of Luigi and Elfrida. The old man was very near his end, but he lived long enough to acknowledge the boy as his legal heir and to make a will, leaving him all his devisable property. For I feel sure the youth is living, amigo, he said. Fortune would not be so cruel as to cut off the entire family of Saviola. Those were his last words. After the funeral, I prepared to return to England, to search for Lady Elfrida and her son, Judge of my surprise when I learned, by a mere accident, that she had been with her family at Naples only a few weeks before. I went over to England, only to hear that she had sailed with all her party for America. I took ship and followed, 
looked for you in New York in vain, remembered that you had a country seat at Mondreer, Maryland, came down to Washington to-day en route for Mondreer, ran up against you, Enderby, in the street to-night. A lucky meeting, said the earl. Yes, these documents before me are attested copies, the first of the certificates of the marriage between Luigi Saviola and Elfrida Glennon, the second of the registry of baptism of Rolando, their son, the third of the last will and testament of Antonio Saviola. These will establish the claim of the young man, who you say is alive and well, to the estate of his late uncle. When may I bring them to Lady Elfrida? Tomorrow, if you please, replied Mr. Force. The earl and the squire arose, and with renewed thanks bade the general good night. CHAPTER Forty Two, THE EARL'S DISCOVERY the church bells were chiming twelve, midnight, as the earl and the squire walked along the now almost deserted avenue toward their hotel. "'I had no idea it was so late,' said the earl. "'Nor I,' assented the squire. "'Force!' "'Well?' "'Will you tell me now, as we walk along, why my sister's first marriage was kept a secret from me during all these years? Why, even my chum in college, my fellow-soldier in camp, never once mentioned the matter to me?' He has explained that in his case it was because no one spoke of it to him, and it was not his cue to be the first to allude to it. But why? Why was all this mystery about a marriage that was honorable enough in itself? Because there was a fatal misapprehension. I call it fatal, on account of the years of untold misery it entailed upon more than one. Explain. You remember, and can now at last appreciate, the dreary loneliness and isolation of your sister's childhood and early youth at Weird Waste? Oh, yes, yes. And the bewildering change that Brighton and a princely lover must have been to the hitherto solitary recluse of Weird Waste. Yes, yes. The fear of having to return to that desolation must have been as strong a motive as love itself in inducing her to fly to Scotland with her lover. Most probably. She had neither father nor brother nor any relative near her, no one but governesses and servants. Ah, my poor father never meant to be unkind, but it was cruel to leave her in that isolation. She found it so, and she listened to the pleadings of her lover, whom her imagination had elevated into a hero, martyr, patriot, and humanitarian, when, in fact, he was only a political refugee, on account of some hot-headed revolutionary utterances he had given. Yes, I heard of Saviola's exile while at Brighton, but I never met the man. I think your friend Anglesia had not met him at the time you were in Brighton. He first met Saviola at Lord Middlemore's, on Brunswick Terrace. You seem to be well informed on all points of this affair, Force. Pretty well, said the squire, but to proceed. Your sister went to Scotland to marry Saviola, escorted by your friend Anglesia, who, having done all he could to dissuade the Italian from running away with the young lady, and having failed, was resolved that the marriage that he could not prevent should at least be properly and legally solemnized. Yes, he told us that. And he told you also that he was bound to secrecy. Well, now to the point. When the newly married pair parted from Anglesia on the day of their marriage, they never saw him again. No? No. You heard Anglesia relate how the old prince Antonio Saviola supposed him, Anglesia, to have acted as second to Luigi Saviola on the occasion of his fatal duel with the Duke de Montmeri, and how he, Anglesia, had denied all knowledge of the tragedy? Yes, I did hear, and I remember that Anglesia was at that very time at college with me. 
"'Well, then, Enderby, listen. "'If the bona fide Anglesia did not officiate "'as Luigi Saviola's second in that duel, "'his double, Burns Dukely, did. "'What?' "'Yes, Anglesia's bet noir, evil genius, material counterpart, "'Burns Dukely did. "'He personated Anglesia in Paris on the dueling ground, "'and at the death of Saviola, "'and in the apartments of Saviola's widow. "'Ah, what new infamy is this of which you tell me?' "'I shall have to prosecute that villain, if he should escape the law here,' exclaimed the earl. "'He will not escape the law here, but to proceed. "'Yes, yes. "'Stukely received the last dying messages from the lips of Saviola, "'and some little time afterward took them to his widow in Geneva. "'There, passing himself off for Anglesia, undetected, unsuspected by her, "'he delivered his credentials and won her confidence. "'But when he saw the beautiful young widow,' He dared to think of her in a manner that should have brought down upon him severe chastisement. "'How? What?' demanded the earl, in an excited voice. "'Calm yourself, Enderby. Be patient, my friend. Here is our hotel. Shall we go in?' "'No, no, I cannot go indoors now. Let us walk here, where the night air cools my head. Unless you are tired, Force. "'No, I am not tired. We will walk on a little way.' "'Well, go on.' With an artful delicacy, with sham sympathy, he approached the subject, and told Saviola's widow that she was, in fact, no widow at all, that her marriage with the late prince was null and void from the first, because it had been celebrated at Kelton, in Cumberland, England, instead of at Kilton, in Blankshire, Scotland. He manufactured plenty of false evidence to prove his falsehood to be truth, and then, and then, what, what? He insulted the lady with the offer of his heart and— hand? Protection, murmured the squire. The earl sprang into the air, as if he had been shot, but came down upon his feet. He said nothing. There are some things that will not bear a single word of comment. This was one. She ordered the venomous reptile from her presence, and he crawled away, but left his poison sting behind. The consummate art of his false evidence had convinced her, as it afterward convinced her father, and later on, myself also, that her marriage ceremony with Saviola was an empty form, null and void. Her father never knew otherwise. She does not know otherwise to this day, and I knew no better until to-night. You believed my sister, your wife, to have been the victim of a false first marriage until to-night? Yes, until the moment when General Inglesia produced the certificate and told the true story. And yet you married her, "'Yes, thank heaven. I was permitted to marry her, and she has been the light of my life,' said the squire, fervently. "'With this cloud overshadowing her. "'Enderby, every one of us has something to bear. "'This secret and its evil consequences have been our cross. "'We have had no other. "'We have loved each other truly, and we have been happy in our married life, "'notwithstanding our cross. "'Force, you are a noble fellow. "'But now about her son. "'Where is he?' "'Well,' said the squire, smiling and hesitating, "'he is a very fine young man, a prisoner of war at present, "'but he shall be free to-morrow.' "'Not Roland Bayard?' "'Yes, Roland Bayard, as fine a young man as breathes. "'Then, after his mother, he is my heir. "'Yes, Anglesia has proved his legal right to be called so. "'Force, does the boy know of his parentage?' "'No, his birth was a mystery to him, "'as it was to everyone except me and his mother.' He believes himself to be the son of Burns Stukely, and that is the reason why his tongue has been tied, so that he will not give the evidence that will clear himself and go near to hang Stukely. I see, I see. But he shall give it to-morrow, and be set at liberty. I shall see to that. 
"'Here we are again at the door of our hotel. "'Shall we go in? "'Or have you anything else to ask me?' "'Questioned the squire. "'No, nothing else tonight. "'Let us go in.' "'The two gentlemen entered the house, "'got their chamber keys from the sleepy watchman, "'and went upstairs. "'The public parlors were dark and deserted. "'The gas burned low in the halls. "'The earl and the squire bade each other good night "'and separated, and went off to their several apartments.' Mr. Force climbed another flight of stairs to seek the little room he had occupied since his wife's illness. He paused at the door of her sick chamber and knocked lightly. The night nurse answered the summons. "'How is Mrs. Force this evening?' he inquired. "'She is better, sir, and she is sleeping nicely,' replied the woman. "'Thank heaven! Good night!' said the squire, as he turned away and entered his own little room. He retired to bed, too happy to sleep until near morning, when at length he sank to rest." End of chapter 42